Thank you for listening to the Define Nobody's podcast with Eric Arjuna and special guests. If you enjoy this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobody's Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and understanding. Welcome to our tribe. And now your host, Eric Ajna. Hey there, friends. It's a blessing to be back with you again in this intimate, safe space of self-exploration and uh, what Muji often calls sober introspection, uh, which I think is certainly fitting for the dialogue that we share in these podcasts. And uh, with the advent of fall cooling the planet as we sort of continue spinning on this spaceship we call Earth, my hope is that we're all gracefully dancing amongst the changes and practicing acceptance over any biological and emotional shifts that you may encounter during this sort of seasonal transition into fall, which of course, you know, it represents a sort of uh, cosmic renunciation or collective exhale of everything that no longer feels in resonance, you know, so that we can kind of invite new opportunities, teachings, and uh, lessons into our lives. And as a precursor to this transition in my life, um, I found out recently that one of my favorite spiritual teachers, Adi Ashanti, uh, who I greatly respect, uh, has decided to step down from public teachings and will be handing over his uh, open Sangha satsang community to his wife, Mukti, which is also a, a phenomenal teacher, by the way. But, you know, nonetheless, there's a bit of sadness that I feel over his decision to step away from public teaching. However, you know, he will still be writing books, which I'm extremely grateful for. And if you aren't familiar with uh, the works of Adi Ashanti, um, he's a Western-based teacher that has his uh, has this kind of really beautiful way of uh, infusing Zen Buddhism with the Advaita Vedanta lineage of, of the Hindu Vedas. But he does it in, in in such a graceful, soft, and practical way that it's you know it's easy to understand and easily applicable to our current society and its sort of um, postmodernistic vernacular that we all know as you know the wildly eccentric and sometimes confusing world that we all live in. But um. Yeah, nonetheless, you know, Adi Shanti has been a, an essential influence in in really my understanding of meditation and my practice altogether. So in dedication to one of my favorite teachers, I'd like to start off this podcast with a, a quote of his regarding the practice of meditation. Then if we can, uh, I'd like to explore the dynamics of meditation with you all. So more than anything, you know, we're going to use his quote as a reference to begin this exploration together. Okay, so... This is a really great quote, by the way. Adi Shanti says, The foundation of true meditation is that we are letting go of control. Awareness isn't something we own. Awareness isn't something we possess. Awareness is actually what we are. If you strip it of all the complex terminology and all the complex jargon, enlightenment is simply returning to our natural state of being. So that's his quote. It's a really beautiful quote. I'll read it once again, if I just just really quickly here. It says, the foundation of true meditation is that we are letting go of control. Awareness isn't something that we own. Awareness isn't something we possess. Awareness is actually what we are. If you strip it of all the complex terminology and all the complex jargon, enlightenment is simply returning to our natural state of being. Um, so that's it. You know, when we think of uh, the characteristics of meditation, um, there are several things that seem obvious to us. 
One, uh, which is a type of goal that we approach this practice with, um, perhaps you're someone that's seeking a, a type of respite from the busyness of your life. And so the expectation is that meditation can do something for you that you know perhaps you're unable to do for yourself without the help of meditation. And two, that we can somehow train our mind into cultivating a type of abiding stillness where nothing on the outside can in any way disturb the peace that you somehow create on the inside, right? It's a worthy goal for sure, but you know, isn't it interesting that both of these dynamics involve first meeting at a place of resistance with life? In other words, you know, we, we tend to identify an issue with what's happening on the outside and on the inside. And so the expectation is that meditation can sort of push up against the chaos of life and somehow wrangle it all into a, a type of all-abiding stillness where, you know, life is subjugated to meet our needs. You know, like whether life wants it to or not, you know, the expectation is that it stops moving for us in the moment of meditation. And eventually, you know, we, we, we quickly realize that life really just can't be manipulated in this way. I mean, we can't push up against the current of life and expect that, you know, with enough effort and practice that we can somehow get it to do what we want. And ironically, you know, the second we find ourselves meeting life with resistance, the more impossible the practice of meditation becomes. And I think this speaks to a much bigger issue with our Western approach to this practice, right? Like we tend to gauge progress by the amount of effort we put into something. And we believe that, you know, with enough effort, uh, with enough understanding, and with enough practice, you know, what we work hard for will eventually work in our favor, right? So we sort of work arduously for the cause. And, you know, over time, we expect to receive an effect that makes this hard work worth the effort. And so the foundation of our approach becomes more about power and control uh, when it should be about surrender and acceptance, right? You know, in other words, you know, we begin meditation with a, a belief that we're somehow going to be the ones responsible for making it happen. And uh, it's no surprise, you know, when we eventually find ourselves frustrated or angry and uh, unenthusiastic when we realize that it simply just doesn't work this way. Right? Like we've all been on the giving and receiving end of conversations where, you know, we've said things like, you know, I've tried meditation for a few minutes this morning and I just, I just couldn't get my mind to shut up. Or I couldn't meditate today because my neighbor's dog wouldn't stop barking. You know, eventually it becomes this practice where, you know, some days are better than others. And in the rare instances where life kind of gives you a break, you know, you can, you can celebrate your accomplishments by, I don't know, making IG reels that clearly express how much of a boss you are at life, right? And uh, of course, you know, on the days when you just can't quite hit that mark in your meditation practice, uh, you revert to making, you know, IG reels about how, you know, Mercury retrograde is fucking your meditation game up, right? So the point is this, you know, we, we've all been this person before, right? And uh, in many respects, we are this person. Of course, I, I don't really blame people for their reluctance to, to meditate when, you know, they never feel like they're making headway with, you know, their objective of trying not to let life make them into sort of like over-analytical maniacs. I mean, it's true, you know, we, we live in a, a society driven by results, and uh, when we don't hit these sort of uh, unrealistic standards we place before us, uh, we tend to get a bit cynical about uh, wellness practices and, you know, we revert to what we may already be good at, which is uh, tirelessly moving through life, hoping that we can find some type, of, some type of refuge in the hustle culture of our modern society, while at the same time slowly going insane. 
mean, after all, you know, some people claim to feel some level of peace and 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 respite having completed hours worth of work and you know, are able to relax within the often temporary feeling of solace that accomplishing something makes us feel. See, the the issue with relying on productivity to define our feelings of inner well-being is that it often it's often sort of like a fleeting sensation that withers away just as quickly as it starts, right? And of course, if this is your game, then, you know, you may find temporary satisfaction in playing it, but it's often not sustainable, right? And so there's a a tempting quality to meditation that sort of lures people in with these hopes that, you know, they can sustain those feelings of happiness and joy. But um, yeah, I'll tell you right now, you know, meditation can do those things, right? But it certainly isn't going to be because you make it happen. And going even further than that, you know, it it can and will make you happy. But uh, it's important to understand that it may not be the happiness and solace that you expect, I mean, if you're looking for meditation to somehow eradicate all of your anger, stress, or anxiety, you may be in the wrong place because meditation is not really in the business of doing your work for you. And it certainly isn't going to you know, protect you from experiencing emotional pain if, if that's what you're currently feeling. You know, perhaps the, the misconception about meditation um, kind of lies in our expectations about it. You know, it lies in the, the frame of mind that we come into meditation with. You know, there seems to be a, a, a paradoxical sort of perspective we carry that seeks to experience peace um, while at the same time sort of contributing to even more noise with these ideas of what that peace should look like, right? And what that, that peace should do for us, right? Like if we enter into meditation with this objective of wanting to become peaceful, uh, it will be that expectation and desire that will inevitably prevent you from ever reaching it. And in just the same way, you know, if, if we enter into meditation with the expectation that it will completely quiet our mind, then that expectation will lead you into even more disappointment because, you know, you'll, you'll approach it as a goal that needs to be accomplished. And if you've been on your spiritual path for some time, you know, you've probably gathered that our minds don't quite work the way that we want them to when it comes to meditation, right? Like instead of closing your eyes and allowing the space to be as it is, you know, you'll, you'll sit there like a helicopter parent just waiting for your hyperactive child to stop bouncing off the walls and fall asleep. I mean, that's our mind, or we can call it the ego. And of course, you know, all this does is lead to even more eagerness and frustration because, you know, because our minds can't be turned on and off like a light switch. You know, as convenient as it may be to have this, you know, complex organism behave like an appliance that we can just switch off when we don't want to use it, Um, you know, we quickly realize that the mind cannot be persuaded by force. I mean, if it could, you know, we we wouldn't reach such places of desperation where, you know, meditation becomes so detrimental, right? I think the reason people often jump into meditation is because everything they've tried up until that point just simply didn't work. And so we allow it to get to a, a certain point where it's no longer an option to ignore the mind, right? Instead, it becomes, you know, imperative that we begin paying attention, I mean, think about it, you know, if, if you're 30 years old, your mind has been producing content on a loop for 30 years of your life and in all shapes and forms, right? It could be dialogue, ideas, beliefs, goals, emotions, words. I mean, you name it, your mind has likely produced it, right? Your mind is one of the OG influencers of your time, right? It can produce content 
faster than any IG influencer you follow, right? And it's been accumulating an audience and following for the last 30 years of your life. So do you think it's suddenly just going to stop making noise just because you want it to? I mean, who do we think is going to be the one that quiets the mind? You may say, well, me, it's going to be me. Well, I mean, who are you? And can you differentiate between who you are and what the mind is? And this is a very important question to explore because, you know, whether your meditation works will entirely depend on what you discover by asking yourself this question, right? Who's going to quiet the mind in meditation? And there may be a part of you that immediately responds with me, right? It's me. It's going to be me. But don't just stop there, you know? Like, don't just accept that as truth. Because if it's you, then who are you? Of course, this may lead to a narrative that's even more romantic or descriptive than just me, but it's important to not focus solely on the details of this narrative. So what I would suggest is focusing on the way that your mind moves when you ask this question, right? Like how quickly it responds without even taking a moment to sit with the question, right? Like focus on the way that your mind always creates stories. And if you're aware enough, if you're open enough, you'll discover that the one who wants to quiet the mind is the same mind that is causing the incessant chatter that you want so badly to silence. The one who wants to do the improving is no different than the one that needs to be improved. So you see, it, it, it's important to look at this question of who am I and really understand the vantage point that you're taking when attempting to answer this question. Because the truth is, you know, who you think you are may actually be part of the problem. And you may ask how, I mean, well, you know, who you think you are encompasses a lot of beliefs and expectations about life and how life should present itself to you. And wrapped into these beliefs and expectations is the part of you that also has an opinion about things like health, wellness, and even spirituality, right? And because of this, you likely have, you know, opinions about meditation as well, right? And one of those opinions being that meditation can only exist when you are void of thought, right? And another opinion that you may also hold is that you're someone that needs to have their thoughts under control as to not completely kind of lose your marbles in life, right? But you see, you know, the, the, the thoughts you want to silence also contain your want and desire to find relief in a meditative practice. So my point is this, you, you can't silence your thoughts because there's really no you there to do the silencing. Because the you that you think you are is also a part of the dialogue that you're trying to find relief from. The you that you think you are is no different from the noise that you receive from your mind. It's just that you think one thought is you and another isn't, right? It's that you believe that there are good thoughts and bad thoughts. And you want to keep the good aspects of you and sort of like discard the rest, right? But the truth is, you know, who you think you are is exactly that. It's who you think, and who you think are just thoughts. So you aren't, you know, a good thought and not a bad thought. Who you think you are are just all thoughts. But if you're sincere enough, you know, if you're honest enough, if you look deep enough, then you'll sort of get to a place in your spiritual practice where you awaken to the truth of who you are, and you discover this, right? And the truth is, you know, the real you can't be defined by any thought your mind can conjure up. So let's go through it together, if we can. And we'll go ahead and we'll start off with a question, right? 
It's right here in this moment. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Just in this moment right now, if you can, ask yourself, who am I? And boom, you'll notice a thought comes up. I'm Eric, right? And no, no, that's not me, right? Ask it again. Who am I? Immediately, another thought comes up, right? It'll start saying things like, oh, I was born in Los Angeles, California. And I'll tell you, no, that's not you either. And you may get frustrated after a certain point, it's, and it's good that you are, because the truth is, it's a trick question, right? It can't be answered. Because any answer you give about who you think you are is just being answered by your mind, right? The mind poses the question, and the mind answers the question, right? The ego presents the question, and the ego supplies the answer, right? So the, the ego identifies an issue, and the ego also wants to solve the issue it itself created, so in just the same way, the ego is frustrated that the mind cannot stop chattering, but the same ego is the one doing all the chattering. You see how that works? Right? The ego wants to silence the mind, but the ego is also the one doing all of the talking. So you see, you can't silence your mind by using your mind to do it. <laughs> right? The most appropriate way to enter into the meditative space is to fully understand what function mind and ego has in your life, you know? Like to fully understand its strengths and its limitations. Because if you explore this, then eventually you'll realize that the mind is always going to move. Like the nature of the ego and the mind is to make noise, right? It's what it does. And nothing you can do, say, or even want will ever stop it from doing what it does, which is producing this sort of never-ending stream of thought that enters into your awareness all day, every day, 24 hours a day. So once we can begin to accept that there's nothing that we can do about the mind, then perhaps then, you know, we can begin approaching meditation in a way that's a little bit more constructive, which is we don't quiet the mind through action or force. We quiet the mind by accepting the fact that it produces thoughts, right? It's what it does. Like we essentially give up any want or desire to stop it by leaving it alone. Because the true nature of who you are and the true nature of the ego are two completely different forces. I mean, we only seem concerned with the ego when we think it's who we are, right? But if you know deep down that you are something really way more magnificent and beautiful than just your thoughts, then it won't matter to you what your mind does because you know that it isn't you. So when we accept that the ego moves, when we accept that thoughts happen, then we're no longer relying on thoughts to determine whether, you know, we're meditating or not. Because the idea of thought and no thought are irrelevant because, you know, as different as it may feel to you, there's still a function within the same mind. When there's a thought, we use more thought and attempt to silence thoughts. And when there is no thought, we use thought to convince ourselves that we are silent. So whether thought or no thought is there, it's still more of the same chatter in both directions. You see, because the foundation, or, or sorry, the, the function of the ego is to work within polarities. It's always in the business of creating division between what it perceives to be good and what it perceives to be bad. And so if we understand that this is largely what it does, then we can give up the game of thinking we have any control to stop it, right? So my point is this, right? The goal in meditation is not to control. The goal in meditation is to observe and be aware of how the mind moves and to practice creating distance between thoughts and your awareness of thoughts. 
So meditation is not so much about being quiet. Meditation is about the place in which you are observing your reality. I mean, more than anything, it's, it's simply a switch in your perception of how you see things. And uh, Jitta Krishnamurti would call it the substratum of where insight and true creativity operate. And who wouldn't want to see reality from this dimension? You know, I mean, I'm certain we all would. Though the first issue is exactly how do we reach this place, right? After all, everything that we've communicated up until this point kind of seems to point us in a direction that continues to pull us farther away from meditation the more we strive to be there. And I think the best place to start is in adjusting how we perceive. Because perception can be looked at differently than action. And action implies there being something for our ego to do. We've already concluded that we want little to do with the ego if our goal is to reach the place of inner stillness, right? But the act of perception isn't so much of a doing. And after all, how can it be if we're actively always perceiving, right? Whether our eyes are open or closed, as long as you've been alive, your consciousness is being projected into either the space in front of you or the space behind your eyes. Either way, you know, we essentially never stop perceiving. And the same is true for the lens in which you perceive your thoughts moving. Of course, you know, there, there are variations to how we perceive, and you know, that will likely be dictated by what you bring your attention to in life. You know, prior to reaching meditation, many people have their attention solely focused on the thoughts that they think. You know, thoughts are essentially their first filter before projecting their consciousness out into the world in front of them. And everything they do is often a reaction to the thoughts that they think because, you know, prior to spiritual awakening, they believe the thoughts that they think are who they are, right? And it's an innocent belief for sure, you know. After all, we, we live in a society that reinforces this as true in literally everything that we do. But as we go deeper into our spiritual practice, you know, we begin to understand how thoughts lead us astray in many ways. And just the same way, you know, we begin to realize how our thoughts and beliefs also have the capacity to hurt us if we aren't being mindful of them. You know, instead of resting in our awareness, you know, we find ourselves being thrown around from left to right just solely based off of the thoughts that we think about life because that's what thoughts do. You know, they bounce around, right, from, from one thought to another, right, from one emotion to another. And your thoughts may even get stuck on negative things despite you not feeling particularly negative on any given day. So, you know, it's important to get these thoughts under control, though not by forcing them to stop, but by perceiving them correctly. So um, we're talking about perception versus action, and action being what the ego does. The ego is always looking for something to do, but in the practice of meditation, we aren't looking to do anything. So how do we approach this? So let's talk about perception if we can or we can even call it awareness or a, a type of active seeing, I think is what Adyashanti would probably call it. And as I mentioned, you know, seeing and perceiving is something that we're already doing. And because we are already seeing, there's, there's really no need to do it, right? It's already a type of happening that's, that's sort of flowering, right? And we don't have to do what we're already actively engaged in. And it's not something that you are doing. It's something that awareness is already doing. But uh, yeah, for the sake of this conversation, we can say that the deepest aspect of your being is already aware. We can see this awareness as a, as a, a type of sacred spark that all of us share in life. And it comes before any idea or belief of who you imagine yourself to be, right? It is this sort of subtle force that is there whenever your mind isn't thinking about anything. And you can even say that it's what's still there when you're in deep sleep and, you know, completely void of thought. Because in sleep, you know, we aren't thinking, right? 
We have no concept or idea of who we are, and yet we still exist. That deep stillness in sleep is you, right? So, you know, now that we've refuted action, that leaves us with awareness and perception, right? So, so how do we understand meditation through awareness? So let's, if we can, um, let's start exactly where you are in this moment once again. So let's say, for instance, that you're here with me now. Whether you're sitting in a chair drinking tea or laying peacefully in bed with your cat by your side, in any case, let's assume that you're in a space that is somewhat comfortable or familiar to you. And let's assume that the idea of meditation has crossed your mind and that your intention is to sort of explore the dynamics of your awareness so that we can try and understand this quality of meditation in a deeper way. But first, uh, we must be absolutely certain that we aren't attempting meditation by thinking we have to do anything to make it happen. And I want to emphasize that, you know, if there is a goal, it is to understand and not develop strategies of doing meditation, right? So essentially giving up the idea of doing something because the act of doing brings with it, you know, the act of discrimination between doing and non-doing, just as we spoke about before, right? Doing is a comparative force with kind of various dimensions of mind worked into it. For example, you know, the moment you start doing something, the expectation is that whatever you do, you do it well. And in order to do it well, your mind or ego has certain rules that it must follow in order to convince itself that you are on the right track. And it is this voice, right, this energy that we need to be aware of, even if it's just for a moment. Now, we don't want to silence this voice, as we've said before. There's no you that will be the one to silence it. Because if you try, it will just be your ego trying to silence itself. And, you know, when we go down that road, we know based off of experience that it will only lead to more thought, right? More noise and uh, more static. So I'd like us to explore, if we can here for a moment, imagine that I'm in the room with you, but not physically next to you, right? Imagine that I'm with you kind of just behind your eyes and inside of your mind for a moment. And in some ways, I already am because you're listening to this with your ears, right? So now let's, let's make the intention to meditate if we can. It's going to look a little different, but let's make the intention to do that. And as you make this intention, notice how your mind moves with this in when this intention comes over you. It'll say something to the effect of, okay, now let's try and silence the mind and reach a place of stillness. It'll say something like that. And it'll say this with such authority and confidence that, you know, you typically respond by trying to do what it says. But pay attention to this voice because we, we aren't taking instruction from the mind today. So as we sit quietly, begin to be aware of what's going on around you, right? Now, what do you hear, right? What do you hear? Now, pay attention to how your mind responds to this question. Your mind may say, well, I hear cars outside. I hear people talking. I hear trees or, or wind outside. Once again, you notice that when I ask you what you hear, your mind will just start coming up with answers, right? So continue just being aware of this voice because every answer it gives is not the right answer, right? It's the mind's answer, but it's not your answer. And, you know, I'm reluctant to say that there is a right answer, but for the sake of this conversation, and for the sake of giving context, the right answer is that there is hearing, right? There isn't you hearing, 
there isn't someone hearing, there's only hearing, right? So in that sense, you know, it stops being about what you hear, right? We're no longer separating one sound from another, right? There's only sound, right? So once again, you know, we're, we're disarming the ego because we aren't playing the game of distinguishing between sounds and who is hearing the sound. And we aren't silencing the ego in this understanding. We're just being aware of the fact that the ego is moving. It wants to try and figure things out, right? And, and, and you're not interested because your attention isn't focused on what the ego wants. You're just accepting that there is sound and you're not concerned with the specifics, right? There isn't this sound or that sound. There's just sound. Now, if you can for a moment, try and envision what it means to embody silence. And in this moment, you'll notice that the mind and the ego start to move again, right? My voice has just given a directive, and now you'll start to notice your mind trying to tell you what you need to do in order to be still, right? In order to be quiet. And just allow it to talk, right? But just notice it talking. And don't try and, and silence the mind because you will lose only 100% of the time, right? Because the ego doesn't see itself as a part of the problem. It sees everything and everyone around you as part of the problem. So when you think of the idea of being silent, the mind tries to shut off everything around you except for itself. But if you're perceiving the mind with your awareness, just as we are right now, your awareness knows that the mind is also a part of the problem. But awareness isn't in the business of trying to silence the mind. Right? Its only goal is to be aware of the fact that the mind always has something to say about everything. Right? When you meditate on the idea of being silent, you'll notice your mind start becoming hyper-focused on everything in its environment that is making noise. It'll start focusing on everything in your environment that is preventing you from being quiet. And it will focus on everything except for itself. Right? You may begin getting frustrated that cars keep driving by or that the neighbor's music is too loud upstairs. And we'll do this because your mind believes that in order to be silent, everything in its environment needs to be silent because the mind works in polarities. Your mind believes that there are acceptable sounds and non-acceptable sounds. Right? It believes that there is a right way to meditate and a wrong way to meditate. And if it can't stop these sounds then it believes that reaching stillness just isn't possible. And it's at this point that many may notice a frustration growing in them, right? Like a voice inside that starts telling you things like, oh, it's too loud, or, you know, there are just too many distractions. And even as this happens, if you're in your awareness, you'll notice this, right? And your only goal in that moment is to be aware of how your mind behaves in moments like that, what your mind says. Because if you're dedicated to seeing things from your awareness, you'll begin to notice that much of the noise and static that you experience in this process isn't because of what's going on out in front of you. It isn't because of the dog barking outside or your neighbor's music. You begin to notice that you know much of the noise and static that you experience in meditation has to do with your mind misinterpreting what it means to be still. Because your mind has parameters, right? Its job is to make things happen. So when you throw something like stillness in front of it, you know, it, it assumes this position of wanting to control its environment so that it can bring a, a type of quality of stillness into practice. And sure, you know, your mind may be successful at achieving uh, a limited range of stillness where it 
you know, turns off the TV or closes the windows and locks you in a closet in order to experience a type of stillness. But typically it's not a sustainable solitude. Right? It's a stillness limited to whether certain conditions can be met. And that's not the, the type of stillness that we're talking about because that isn't a shift in perception, right? What that is is simply a change or manipulation to your environment. So if we are to produce a shift in our perception, it's best to start at the one place that produces distraction. And that's sound. It isn't sight because we can simply close our eyes. It isn't touch because, you know, when we're still, we aren't moving or touching anything. You know, what, what produces most of the static that we encounter in meditation is sound, whether external sound or internal sound, right? It's the one thing that we all uh, have difficulty controlling usually. So how do we shift our perception through sound? My perspective is that we start with this simple statement, which is silence is not the absence of sound, right? Silence is not the absence of sound. And this may sound paradoxical to your ego because the ego thinks in polarities, right? It thinks in contrast. It thinks there are two sides of the fence. One of them is where sound is and the other is where silence is. And once again, you know, you're being aware of your ego in this moment, you'll notice your mind start talking like this the moment you affirm to yourself that silence is not the absence of sound. It'll start talking. It'll say like, well, what the fuck are you talking about? How is silence not the absence of sound? And it will start bringing up these questions to you. And this is because it's not supposed to make sense to your mind because your mind only knows superficial silence. It can never know deep spiritual silence. The only silence your mind knows is the silence that it thinks it can create for you by sort of overcoming certain obstacles, right? But the silence we're talking about here is a different quality of silence altogether. We can call it a sort of um, all-abiding silence. And the beautiful thing about this silence is that you don't need to create it, okay? Because it's already here. We only have to sort of shift our perception of sound in order to fully tap into this silence. So when we say silence is not the absence of sound, we're saying that even if sound is present, somehow silence can still exist. We're saying that even if there is sound in our environment, even if there is sound in our minds, silence can still exist. And if we sit with this statement for a moment and really, really integrate with it, we may begin to experience a certain quality of awareness open up in us. And it will be a, a quality of awareness that, that begins to experience sound in a different way. So my point is this. You know, can you experience the stillness of meditation even when distractions are present within you? Can we begin to see sound as a part of the silence? And I would say yes, because you know, we aren't looking for a superficial silence, right? What we're looking to achieve is a, a deep spiritual silence where there's absolutely nothing can interfere with your inner stillness because your inner stillness is not dependent on whether certain conditions are met. It's not dependent on whether your mind stops chattering because in this deep stillness, the movement of mind, sound, taste, smell, sight is all just one happening, right? They aren't individual and separate things. It's all one force and your awareness is the one witnessing it sort of dancing in front of you. So to embody the, the, the deepest states of meditation, we, we have to shift our perception away from the ego, you know? Because the ego, it's, it's an ego that discriminates, right? The ego that compares and contrasts. The ego that, that thinks sound is one thing and silence is another. 
right? We have to shift our attention away from the ego and sort of refocus our attention on our awareness, our awareness, which is, it's already present, right? In other words, we, when the ego stops, when the mind stops, awareness just is. Now, I'm reluctant to, to define awareness because the moment we try and define awareness, it just simply becomes another mind game. But for the sake of this conversation, uh, another way to define awareness is surrender or acceptance. I'd like us to be careful when we sit with these two words because you'll notice your ego start talking again. It'll say something like, ah, I see. So I have to surrender and accept the moment in order to meditate. It'll say stuff like that. And we need to be aware of this voice because the ego is just trying to get you to do more things. And if stillness is what we want to embody, then doing more things isn't going to bring us there. So just watch your mind when it starts saying things like this and just be aware of it. Okay, so when I say that uh, meditation can be looked at as surrender and acceptance, I'm not referencing a type of action. What I am referencing or what I'm referring to when I say surrender or acceptance is a, a force that is already here in this moment. It's what becomes seen, right, in the moment when we allow things to just be as they are. Right? The issue is that we, we typically kind of have trouble experiencing this surrender or acceptance because you know, the ego is always in this perpetual process of pulling our attention away from it. And it does this in even subtle ways that you sometimes don't even realize because you know, the ego's main role is to just create stories about every little fucking thing that you experience in life. Even if you don't want to hear the stories, it'll just still tell you them. So we, when we move our attention away from the stories of the ego then you know, surrender and acceptance just naturally comes into being, but not because you willingly surrender, right? Not because you willingly accept, but because surrender and acceptance is what is, right? It's what is when the mind is not. And if we can sort of practice perceiving life from the dimension of awareness, then we naturally merge into this quality of a sort of deep abiding stillness where everything in our moment becomes one collective happening. And you won't need to try, do, be, change, start, stop. You won't need to apply any of these sort of polarities into the space because that's just more mind. More than anything, you know, meditation is not something that is attained, right? It's a subtraction, right? It's what comes into being when we let go of everything we know about life, everything we know about, everything that we think we know about who we are, our preferences, our opinions, our doubts, our fears, our ambitions, our desires, our wants, and just letting those things go. It's what comes into being when we sort of realize that all of these little things are just a movement of mind. And when we understand that it's just a movement of the mind, then we can let it be and just sort of shift our attention away from being the one who experiences stillness to just becoming stillness itself. So in other words, when there is no you getting in the way, what's left is just experience. And it's simple. In fact, it's even more simple than simple. And it's, it's sort of like this simplicity of meditation that will, you know, have your mind bending into a pretzel trying to figure it out because in this simplicity, there's nothing for your mind to do. And if you remain aware of your mind when this chatter starts happening, you'll notice that eventually eventually your mind will give up and just sort of naturally surrender to your awareness. And this, you know, this is meditation. And it's not about finding stillness in your external environment. 
right? Your external environment isn't something that you can control, right? It's about finding stillness within. So when we reference things like Adi Ashanti's quote, once again, it sort of illuminates a sense of newfound clarity that, you know, we can take with us into our practice in the days ahead. So to go back to Adi Ashanti's quote, he says, the foundation of true meditation is that we're letting go of control. Awareness isn't something that we own. Awareness isn't something we possess. Awareness is actually what we are. If you strip it of all the complex terminology and all of the complex jargon, enlightenment is simply returning to our natural state of being. And it's so beautiful, you know, how perspective can allow us to transform the ways in which we perceive everything, including a beautiful quote from a beautiful man. So Adi Ashanti, if you're out there, brother, I, I appreciate you, I honor you, and I love you. And of course, for our listeners, you know, may the light of beauty and peace and love be the sort of impenetrable force that guides you back home to your heart. And I appreciate you, I honor you, and I love you as well. Namaste, friends. <laughs>